0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my friend, Gloria Zeng, who is a registered psychotherapist and the host of the Inner Child podcast. Gloria, my friend, it is an honor to have you here today. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm good. Thanks so much, Michael. Isn't he awesome? Michael is the best, (laughs) in case you guys didn't know.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, For those who do not know you, tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got to where you are today.
2: Oh, gosh, backstory time. So I'm not even going to go into the whole immigrant parents thing. Also, I'm Asian Canadian, so usually people want me to go the angle of what it was like growing up, um, you know, being the only Asian kid in an all-white school. But honestly, Michael, when I look back on my childhood, the thing that stood out to me the most was me, seven years old, trying to do my homework in this tiny apartment we lived in, and just hearing my parents going at it and screaming at each other. Uh, at the top of their lungs and I would, you know, plug in my headphones, try to drown out the sounds and just focus on my work. You know, so much of me growing up was just looking at broken relationships around me. It wasn't just my parents who I honestly, if you were to ask me this uh, from the bottom of my heart, I don't think we're the right fit for each other, Um, but it was also in my relatives. I had. Literally, people go to jail because of what happened to their relationships and their marriages. There were alcoholics in my family. There was gambling problems. There were assaults. And I was just this kid who had such a messed up idea of what healthy relationships in marriage was supposed to be um, that I ended up becoming this crazy, hyper, hopeless romantic. I'm sure a lot of girls are, right, growing up listening to, um, you know, the pop songs and the Disney movies. But I had, I remember saying this to myself when I was eight years old. I was so convinced that I was going to grow up and meet my prince in shining armor and he was going to come and, you know, save me from this really fucked up family dynamic that I had grown up in and not having a single example of what a great relationship between two people uh, can be. That's that's a very raw look at what kind of kid I was growing up. If you can see behind me, I'm still a bit of a hopeless romantic, but honestly, it didn't turn out the way I hoped it would because I became an over an overachiever, as so many of my clients and, you know, people listening to this podcast turning on this huge ego part of myself to try to prove myself different. And even though I knew everything in the book, I was a very successful therapist. I went to school for psychology. I was still getting into those same relationship traps. I was literally stuck in 10 years of toxic relationships, you know, codependency. I was dating people that were alcoholics. I was repeating the exact same patterns as everyone I saw was doing growing up, even though I had all of the knowledge right? So something was really messed up there. Um, And it wasn't until I discovered inner child work that my life completely changed. I was able to rework all of my narratives around relationships, and I actually ended up meeting my soulmate. Uh, We've been together a while now. We have a house together. Um, And so, yeah, I, I have a happy ending to my story, but now I help other high achievers who grew up in very messed up childhoods find their ways out of toxic relationships, and find healthy ones. So that's a bit of a long-winded answer, <laughs> but that's how I got to where I am today.
0: We'll be right back to today's show, but first I need to ask you a question. Are you feeling stuck? Are you feeling like you don't have the support to go to the next level in your healing journey? Are you feeling like you wish you had a little bit more support from not only myself, but the unbroken nation? Well, my friend, I want to invite you to come and join our live weekly coaching sessions in Think Unbroken. All you have to do is go to Keys, K-E-Y-S, Keys.thinkunbroken.com to sign up and join us today with a hundred percent money back. No questions asked guaranteed and no contract or commitment every week for the next year. You can come and be a part of our live coaching sessions each Monday as we dive deep into not only answering your questions, but questions from the unbroken nation and help you take all of the information that you learn in the podcast, in the courses and other areas of this journey, bring them into your life and use it in a way that is practical, life changing and transformative. So my friend, join us at keys.thinkunbroken.com and we will see you this Monday. It's powerful. You know, I think about those moments of childhood in my own journey and having that, and I'm sure many of the Unbroken Nation as having those similar experiences and and finding the understanding of the baseline of relationships being volatile and then moving towards that. You know, I think about this this concept and idea that we often use about being able to thrive in chaos and I'm like, well, that, that's kind of nonsensical when you really think about it. And we we run from it, we hide from it, we we try to do everything to avoid being in those kind of yeah. relationships. And I think even subconsciously to an extent, we're like, I know this isn't right, but I, I don't remove myself from it. And I right. think part of that is because you just witness these these family systems and dynamics of people just being like, we hate each other, but we're not gonna do anything about it. So, as your child, you're going through this, you're in this experience, you're in your room, headphones on, witnessing these things, like, what is going through your head?
2: Mm, such a good question. You know, the chaos part of it has a lot to do with how it it really messed up my nervous system, having to witness that as a kid, right? And I know a bit about your story, Michael. I know it was the same for you, where the chaos and the absolute roller coaster just becomes your norm. You know, when I was a kid, and I I didn't understand any of these ideas, right? When you're a kid, all you want (laughs) is just for mom and dad to get along and to be happy. There were days I would literally like beg to God, or I didn't even have these concepts as a kid. I would beg, um, you know, to the world that mom and dad could just get along and be happy. And I would just play this fantasy over and over again in my head about us becoming this big, happy family together where no one was yell- yelling at each other. And I would just cling onto that fantasy, into that hope, right? Until I, w- I would go to bed at night. It really was that simple. But as a kid, that's that's all you know, right? You don't understand that maybe the way mo- dad is treating mom isn't right. All you know is that these two people are the only people who are providing for you, right? they were the only two people that you're connected with and even if they are, you know, violent and abusive, you're still attached to them as a child who hold on holds on to that dream of what a family is supposed to look like. That's honestly what it was like.
0: I remember these moments of like there there was this movie um, that I hate to this day called Annie, which I'm oh, sure most yeah. people are familiar with. Um, because it was like, you watched this, this little girl and I'm I'm, like, I love the fact that like, it's this happy ending thing, but like you watch this little girl get rescued effectively. Yeah. Right. And I think that is such a, a fucking misnomer in the truth of the childhood experience, (laughs) because I don't know anybody personally that ever got rescued. And so you're, you're in this thing where much like you, I would sit and be like, okay. God, spirit, universe, somebody, please save me from this. And you find that it doesn't happen. And then what happens is you turn to coping mechanisms, Mm -hmm. right? What was kind of this transition for you as a kid where suddenly you're like, wait a second, I'm moving into this space of high achiever. I'm moving into Mm -hmm. this space of like, for for, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, it was avoidance. So I'm like drugs and alcohol, but for other people, they're like, and I know many of these people, I coach many of them, they go, I'm high performer. How do you end up there?
2: Yeah. High achieving is a form of avoidance. So you that that's totally spot on, you know, for people like us who were shifted and molded into that high performer category, um, usually something happens along the way where combined with all the messed up relationship stuff you witnessed, you probably had parental figures who only validated certain parts of you and it's usually the parts of your personality that have flourished into that high achiever so in my situation i was only shown love when i got an a plus on on my tests at school right and if i came home with a 95 percent, the response was always well what happened to the other five (laughs) percent you know right it's like everything was molding me to become this people pleaser, where I just wanted to impress my parents and almost to distract them from their own marriage problems by saying, Hey, look at me. Stop fighting for a sec. Look, I got eight plus on this test. Aren't you proud of me? Aren't you proud of me? Right? Aren't you proud of me was probably the mantra I grew up with um, up until I was, you know, 18 years old. And it was the only way that I could feel like I had some sense of control and that's how we become overachievers, right? It it can feel totally like an addiction, but it's, it's taking us away from what it is that we truly want and it's to be accepted and to have love for who you actually are, not the things that you achieve and accomplish. Yeah.
0: And I think the downside of that is unfortunately. I can only speak for myself, but as a child, there's a 0% chance I would understand what you just said. Yeah. And and so we, we go to those things because they they give us some semblance of identity, right? You're in it and you're like, this is who I am. So even mm-hmm. if even if it means for five seconds, I get admiration, I'm going to kill myself to get that right. That exactly the I, I think it's like that struggle of, you know, when you get a hit of dopamine, it is. The reward is best when earned, and I think one of the the hard parts about this context is the earning it is this insurmountable battle that on the one rare occasion that you get it, it's like your fucking brain explodes, right? <laughs> and you're like, "This is the greatest day of my life," when, when in actuality, it's not, and that's something you should be experiencing frequently. So when you have these moments and you're like, "Okay," I, aren't you proud of me? And you get that, yes, I would assume occasionally, not putting words in yeah. your mouth. What was your response to that?
2: It's like a slot machine, right? One of these times I'll we'll get it right. <laughs> we'll just keep pulling at the lever. And, you know, I love the whole idea of breadcrumbing in relationships and all of this inner work. It's like when you've been starving for a meal for so long, all of a sudden, that tiny piece of breadcrumb feels like like a five star meal, right? It feels like a Michelin restaurant meal. And when you finally get that that hit of dopamine, as you were saying, when you finally get you know the smile or a hug from your mom and your dad, um, it feels like like the biggest moment in your entire life. And it's not right because emotional needs are actual needs. You know, I hear clients at the beginning of our journey, sometimes say things like, oh, you know, it would have been nice if, if my mom hugged me, it would have been nice if they smiled at me. And it's like, no, this, no, 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 this is not something that would have just been a cherry on top. These are actual fundamental needs. It's on par with food on your table and a roof over your head, right? There have been, I can't, I'm only not even going to go into the the research into how meeting those developmental emotional milestones literally affects the way that your brain develops. It affects your executive functioning skills, but these are actual needs that were neglected in you as a kid, as they were for me and for you as well, Michael.
0: I I often hear people say, well, my parents did the best that they could. And to an extent, I go, yeah, sure, that's fair. Okay, fine. But then what I have seen happen again and again and again is that we allow what in that context we determine to be, quote, unquote, the best to be the barrier, minimum entry level to creating any and all other relationships that we get in from that moment. So now you're going through this process. You're like, all right, I'm going to go and buy. I'm going to play the fucking slot machine (laughs) to see what happens. And, and now you're in, you're stepping into, I want to trace this into as you're going through this process of adulthood and falling into these toxic relationships. Like what was happening? Like what was your mindset in these? Are you aware? Are you not aware? Are you kind of both? Like where are you at in these moments of like, wait a second, something feels mm-hmm. like my relationships with my parents here?
2: Yeah, totally. I want to speak to what you said just now of the bare minimum. So when you look at emotional attunement in kids, which is how often you have to get it right when reading your kids' emotional needs, you actually only have to get it right 30% of the time. That is what bare minimum is for a kid to turn out to be um, securely attached. So if something went wrong, it means that for you and your parents, it was way less, like less than 30% of the time they got it right. So... You know, maybe they were doing their best, but it, it still wasn't enough, right? That's just the reality of how it is. Oh boy, this is a can of worms with adult relationships. You know, some people who've never heard of this work before, they're they're almost shocked when I tell them that your romantic relationships as an adult has everything to do with the way that you grew up. So, your caregivers they kind of become the blueprint, right? They're they're your first interactions ever with human beings on earth. Um, And so that kind of becomes the blueprint to how you understand other relationships. But have you ever had, you know, for those listening, maybe you've been in a bad situation with a situationship or a relationship and you just realize you have this sudden epiphany that the person you're dating sure reminds you a lot like your mom or your dad, right? And, you know, it's not like we're intentionally going out there and choosing partners that remind us of their mom and dad. It sounds kind of incestual, but it's not. It's because we're, we are drawn towards what is familiar. And honestly, that could be as simple as the way that someone looks at you. When you say something and they kind of roll their eyes at you or they put you down or they diminish your your opinions on things. Little things that even though they might hurt you, they ring kind of a a bell in the back of your brain saying, oh, this is familiar, right? Oh, we, we know what this is all about. And we actually develop attraction towards people like that, which is kind of messed up, but it's kind of how it works.
0: Yeah. And and in that, what did you notice about that experience for yourself? Because I what I found myself, I had this moment where. Um, I, I was in this relationship with someone, I was like 24 years old, and it was so incredibly emotionally volatile, mm-hmm. and and it just one day just kind of hit me. It was like a smack to the face. I was like, oh, shit, I'm dating my mom.
2: <laughs> there it is, right? I hear that all the time. Yeah, the my case, I was dating my dad, and the pattern, I'm not sure what the pattern was in that relationship for, for you, but one of my patterns was I was always drawn towards people who couldn't choose me, right? So they were either in another relationship, they were uh, emotionally unavailable, they were more of an avoidant or narcissistic type of person. And I couldn't even talk to anyone about this because I I was a high achiever. I was, you know, super successful in my career, my business. And so, you know, if anyone knew I, I sucked at relationships, it just felt like this huge shameful thing to me but I literally dated this guy for over a year uh, and at the end of that year still refused to call me his girlfriend and it was the same time that a lot of other things were happening I just felt like everyone was just slamming their door in my face Um, and I it it was like wow like this is my dad right (laughs) like my dad who I always felt like I just couldn't quite get enough love and affection from who I was just never good enough for And I ended up finding relationships where I could not be good enough for my partners, and it was just a cycle. So yeah, you dated your mom, I dated my dad.
0: (laughs) In that, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is, you know, there are people who right now they're starting to maybe, maybe, and even just listening to this for the first time, have this moment of clarity and think, oh, wow, maybe there is some symbiosis between this experience in childhood and this person I'm in a relationship with. How do, it was, for me, like, having a moment of recognition about this was, was kind of, like, literally an epiphany. It was, like, a holy shit moment. But how can somebody note, was, was that the same for you? I'm trying to, like, Draw a path for people mm. to create a foundational understanding of being able to recognize whether or not they may be in a similar situation as what we used to be in.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, for those starting off who might just be learning about this for the first time, there's always one tip that I find very helpful to share with folks. And it's to look at the relationship you're currently in or look at past relationships. And to actually identify how is it that the other person makes me feel, right? How do I actually feel when I'm around this person? And I've gotten a a range of different answers of I feel unimportant to all these people I date, I never feel like I get enough attention, Um, uh, I never feel like I'm enough or I feel like I'm too much, I feel like I can't commit to them. Right? There's always some common denominator of the way that you actually feel in that relationship. And then to tie that feeling with someone from your past who also made you feel the same way. And I can almost guarantee you there's going to be a clear connection that comes up for you. That it's probably mom or dad or someone who raised you or someone from your past that was a very important relationship for you.
0: Yeah. And, and when you're in that, I think that can be super unsettling for people, Yeah, right? And I I think predominantly, if it's the first time you've come to that realization and you're like, for me, I was like, oh my God, this is like the worst moment of my life, right? Because they're like, (laughs) what is happening right now? And, and, and you kind of actually kind of realize like, you're also playing a factor and a role in that. And I think that there's a, a level of reconciliation that has to happen. And so, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is you're like, all right, I'm in this place, I'm super successful, I'm a high performer. And I'm going to make this a uh, personal statement. I resonate with that tremendously because that's mm-hmm. where I was. Super successful, high performer, relationships, disaster. Yeah,
2: you got it. Right?
0: And, and, and I'm like, same as you, hopeless romantic, seeking, hoping, praying somebody be that fix that thing to fill my cup how do you how do you like reconcile the fact that like here i am super successful but this one thing that maybe probably should matter more is a complete wreck
2: yeah oh gosh i'm getting flashbacks to years ago <laughs> but you know i will tell you something about this one thing i think it's really important to mention is being good at relationships it's not this you know elusive Random thing that only happens to lucky people, and I think that when we grow up with all of these very dysfunctional examples, it's really easy to believe that, right? It's easy to believe these scarcity, be- you know, these are false narratives that, um, you know, there's so few good people out there, or there's no one out there for me, and we kind of get stuck in these narratives, and it can make relationships feel very random, um, and you know, like, like it's not possible for you, but it's it's just a skill like everything else. Like if you're an entrepreneur, it, you didn't just build a business by like guesswork, right? Like you actually had to implement skills and pull it together. But becoming securely attached is also a skill too. These are things that we can actually learn when it comes to regulating your triggers and relationships, um, you know, managing the the connection, finding the right people. Uh, but you know what, Michael, I think what I'll say to that is taking responsibility in your choices in these relationships is probably the first step. I I mean, I know you know this, but to, to those people listening.
0: To the free event, watch it live with us this December. It'll be myself speaking along with amazing human beings like. Anthony Trucks, Jamie Bronstein, Leslie Logan, and a special interview that I'm doing with Dr. Gabor Mate that has never before been released. So come and join us, myunbrokenlife.com. All you have to do is put in your email. We'll send you over the registration. You'll be able to come and join us, watch live. And then if you want access to the recordings or more information there for you to keep them forever. But in the meantime, go sign up. Block it off on your calendar. This is going to be a transformational experience that you do not want to miss. Head over to myunbrokenlife.com to register for free. Until next time, be unbroken.com.
2: I mean, I was at a point where I was just blaming everyone else, right? I was thinking, well, this guy sucks. That person sucks, right? Um, and I was always putting the blame on them. Like they were the toxic ones, not me, not me. I'm over here, you know, crushing it. I'm, I'm a boss babe, right? And I, I, you know, like I I was avoiding personal responsibility, but the fact was there was only one common denominator in all these relationships. It was me, right? Like I was choosing to go on these dates with people. I was the one choosing to stay for 12 freaking months with someone that didn't want to call me his girlfriend. You know, at that point I couldn't even blame him anymore. It was just, I was the one that was allowing it to happen and damn that gutted me right to realize that wow maybe i have a part to play in this as well um and I, I saw a smile on your face <laughs> maybe you you felt that way before too so i think taking radical responsibility for your journey and what you want and what you truly deserve in relationships has to come first before we're even ready to talk about the strategic and the healing piece. Yeah,
0: yeah. and and I'm, I'm smiling because I'm like, uh, yeah, take fucking responsibility for your life. Yeah. And and it's hard, right, because it's, it's so much of the causation and correlation where you find yourself effectively building a life that you had already once lived because it's comfortable. Right. Right. I mean, what's what's more comfortable than known experiences, right? And until you're willing to face the other side of that and the discomfort in this context is like uh, empathy and compassion and grace and love and acceptance and being claimed. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, what's more scary than that? I've never had that before, so I'm going to shy away from it. But but even in that moment of like. For lack of a better term, this coming to Jesus experience where you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> wait a second. This is on me. Right. I, I feel that one of two things typically happens. One being people go, all right, well, this is just acceptance. This is what I deserve. This is what I'll continue to have. Sands a rock bottom, potentially. Right. And And the other being like, I'm going to destroy myself. I deserve this. I'm a mm-hmm. piece of shit. How do you step through that space?
2: Oh, that's such a good nuanced question. I've never heard anyone ask it quite like that before, because you're totally right. I think, you know, as the high achiever, we can we're so good at polarizing things and either going this way or the other way. Right. So I really believe it's about finding that middle balance. I mean, the reason intimate relationships are so hard for, you know, people like me is we feel safe in our professional life because that's where we've established our authority, but we don't feel safe with this relationship stuff because it's totally new to us. But when it comes to taking responsibility um, and not having it go you know go through this downward spiral, uh, now, one half, I think it's really important to be in a community or work with someone that can show you what it's like on the other side, because how do you, you know, if I've never seen what a healthy relationship looks like, I have no point of reference to even get there. Um, So, you know, whether it's therapy or working with a coach or even reading a book, I think having some sort of external guidance is always very helpful when you're going somewhere that you've never been to before. Um, But combining that radical responsibility with compassion and self-compassion, I think is the sweet spot. So it's not only this, oh, it's all my fault, right? Like I made all these choices, like I'm the toxic one, but we have to pair that with the understanding of why we have made those choices. I wasn't a bad person for choosing these people. It was because that's all I've ever known. I didn't know any better. I thought I was dating people that on paper would have been good matches for me, but I was not in connection with my body. I didn't know what my type should be based on my attachment style, right? And so I was just repeating wounds. And so when we do make mistakes, I think it's super important to take responsibility for our own actions, but also pair that with that unconditional self-compassion as well, so that we're not just beating ourselves up.
0: How much of, especially in the context of high achievers, how much is Failure in these intimate relationships, in conjunction with the need to have massive control.
2: Oh my gosh, huge, <laughs> huge, right? And the control piece is probably why these relationships are not working out. You know, we, we're we're our hustle game is good, right? We we got to where we are by working hard and pushing forward. But working hard and pushing forward in intimate relationships, you know, doesn't quite work the same way because it opens up our blind spots. It opens up um, our vulnerability. And so, you know, what happens when we try to control the outcome of a relationship? Usually nothing good comes of it, right? The other person feels like we're trying to control them. Um, They feel like we've got this hidden agenda, like we're trying to speed things up to get that commitment or to move things forward. So, yeah, it really is about finding ways of letting go of that control, but still feeling safe in a relationship setting. It is a bit of an art.
0: Yeah. So how do you do that?
2: Yeah. So, well, I have there are different philosophies out there around dating. Um, With my work, I focus more on that trauma informed approach. And what that really looks like is. Building that foundation of safety within yourself so that you're not looking for it in other people. That's where I think a lot of folks get tripped up on is they look to relationships as a way to fill this gaping void in their lives, right? It's almost like they're trying to make up for uh, mommy or daddy not being there. They're looking at relationships as this external source of validation but the thing is relationships can never rescue you from what kind of life you have now relationships are just like money they simply magnify what's already here right and it's the same thing how money won't say, uh, money won't solve your problems it will simply amplify and magnify what you already have same thing with relationships and so if you don't feel internally sound, if you don't have this sense of overflow and abundance, uh, just, you know, between you and your inner child, you as you, as a person, then you're not going to be coming at relationships from the right place, from the right energy. Um, and that's when the controlling aspects really start to come out. And so that's where I start first is getting you to the place where you're going to relationships for the right reasons so that there is no need for control. You know, a lot of people think with relationship coaching that it's all about finding the one, right? Gloria, I'm going to give you this money. Go and find me my husband or my wife and that's it. But that's completely missing the point. It's almost like, you know, in business coaching, if someone just helps you build one business and then that's it, like what happens when it goes to shit, right? Most of us move move through multiple businesses throughout our lives, but we're actually helping you change the place that you operate from. So it's not just about one relationship and, and putting your entire, you know, hopes, hinging your entire life on one person. But it's that you can get to the point where it just feels easy for you. If this one doesn't work out, no problem. I've done it before. I know how to create another healthy relationship again, and the next one will be better, and the next one will be even better until I eventually get it right. Same thing with career and business, right? It's not about finding the one and putting all of our eggs and hopes on that one thing, but knowing that we are safe in having all different kinds of relationships um, because the happiness at the most core. Sense comes from you. No one else can feel happy for you, except for you. Um, and so we, we really try to have you approach things from the right reason so that you're set for life. Yeah. I went a bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> hopefully that answers.
0: Depth, depth is everything. Um, you know, one of the thoughts that came to mind is, you know, and I don't know if this was true for you and so I'm curious, but I was only able to discover what you're laying out when I was by myself. When I was not in a relationship when I was single and and even in that in these long gaps of learning and growing and changing and healing even finding myself again in a relationship where I was like oh shit wait a second some of these things hold true to the thing I was trying to move myself away from and then having to make the hard decision of saying actually I have to walk away from this and Mm -hmm. and that being I think a part of this journey you know I always think about this idea that you know, life is about failing forward, like making yeah. these mistakes, learning, growing, coming back, iterating, taking samples, doing again, because now you have more data, you have a better understanding. And and I would argue, probably, not. I'm not even going to argue, I'm just going to say it. I think people who have come from traumatic backgrounds have a vastly more difficult experience in stepping into secure attachment style relationships, mm-hmm. because whereas my thought is, as a child, you are learning, you're bringing this in, you're soaking it in. If you're in a healthy family system, now you have something modeled for that. Whereas if you're not, well, guess what? Shit, you're fucking 28 years old, 36, 40 years old. You're learning in real time. The consequences are so much higher, and yet people will find themselves stuck in, I'm just gonna stay in this. And so, whereas, when I have found myself going, all right, actually, this is wrong. This is a mistake. I fucked up. Whatever it might be, I go, okay. What do we need to do to change, to fix this? Give it effort. Try to push forth and through into what's next. Whereas most people, for lack of a better term, they'll just back down. How do you? What, let's say someone's in a relationship right now. They recognize the tendencies of, you know, it being unhealthy, it being insecure, anxious attachment styles, it's being all of these things that they don't want. What do they do?
2: I love everything that you said just now, Michael, about how sometimes we still stay as a seven-year-old emotionally in these relationships, right? You know, I get this question quite a lot because, I mean, let's just face it, it's hard. You know, relationships open up these different parts of us greater and more deeply than any other types of relationships. So I, I totally get how difficult it is. This idea of suddenly making these changes and going into this completely unknown territory. But the perspective I like to share is, yes, it is hard learning how to be healthy in relationships, learning how to choose people that are right for you. But what you're doing right now, isn't that also really hard? Like, how hard do you think it is for you right now to be living a life where you don't feel heard? by people where you don't feel like you can succeed in your relationships, where you might possibly be, you know, 30, 40 years down the line and be still stuck in these same types of toxic dynamics over and over again. That's hard too, right? But it's a different kind of hard because you're so used to it. And I truly believe that sometimes we do have to hit those rock bottoms for us to realize that the pain of being stuck where we are is not heck of a lot greater than the pain it might take to pull ourselves out of these situations and so yeah i think sometimes we need those wake-up calls to really help us realize oh crap i might think that changing is hard but maybe me staying here exactly where i am being exactly where i am 20 years from now that's going to be pretty hard too
0: you talked about in your own journey, this, this aspect of recognizing a decade in that it wasn't until you started doing this inner child work that you started to create the space to be able to move into something healthy and safe and secure. What's the correlation there?
2: With uh, inner child healing? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, you know. Some people find it kind of strange coming from me. So I'm originally a a registered psychotherapist, eventually became a coach. And I have honestly found in a lot of my own training as a mental health practitioner, there's been so much emphasis on the CBD, uh, CBT, not CBD, sorry. (laughs) Though I love that as well, CBT um, and these eight week programs and these, you know, two week, two session programs. I've done it all, Michael. And nothing has hit me the way it did in those innermost deep, deeper layers as looking at attachment and inner child work. That's just been my honest uh, experience. You know, I would go to certain sessions and they would say, oh, you just have anxiety, right? Let's just, let's give you this medication to treat <laughs> treat your anxiety. Then you'll be fine in relationships. And in other, other types of modalities, I would go to... Uh, you know dating gurus and learn about how to dress properly on dates right like that was the fucking problem that I wasn't wearing a dress and that was the reason why I was attracting the wrong people right and everything was just so surface layer you know this was why I was so drawn to your work as well Michael because you really get it that it has everything to do with the way we are wired and we are wired in our childhood you know, it's crazy that I, I didn't even learn about that in my therapy school. But um, when I first met, went to my first inner child coach, um, it was actually a guy, believe it or not. And we actually had nothing in common. He was like um, a 40-something white, uh, you know, man. He was like a, a skateboard champion, and you know, like in Canada. So random. We had nothing in common other than the fact that He had a very messed up childhood, and he was now in a happy relationship. I I saw those two things, put it together. I thought, that's where I was. You're where I want to (laughs) be. Like, let's work together. (laughs) And he helped me look at the way that my parents raised me to be and how I literally took that blueprint and just extrapolated that onto all of these people I was dating. And it was like, oh my God, it was like breakthrough after breakthrough of seeing all these connections but also things that I could actually do differently by reparenting myself, giving myself the needs that weren't met in me as a kid and not looking towards other people to fill that cup for me. But it was almost like unlocking the superpower, like, oh wow, I can actually fill my own cup. It was like tapping into this inner reservoir that I didn't even know was there. Um and I just ended up feeling so abundant and so full. And, you know, when I parted ways with my coach two years later, I just felt like a totally different person. And I, I don't think I would have been able to get there if I hadn't gone into those deeper layers of the inner child work.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's a scary place, right? And I, I think people don't understand how much you will discover about yourself. And I mean, ultimately when I wrote my second book eight steps to healing your inner child. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty foundationally straightforward book. It's not, it's not as in depth as some of the other things I've written, but it's just like, if you're willing to look at these things, like just nakedly, unabashedly, honestly, mm-hmm. you're gonna find some shit out about yourself. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And you're gonna end up in this place where you're like, fuck, like, this is, this is who I am. Not necessarily only because of my, my wiring, my programming, you know, sometimes it's grooming and enmeshment, but also it's the choices that you're making. It's the decisions that you make. And and unfortunately, there's a reconciliation that you're going to have to have with the truth of who you are and understanding radical responsibility in terms of mm-hmm. making better decisions. And And I think one of the difficult things for me was there's a space in which you have to evaluate the value that you have and what you are worth. And there's right. a conversation about worthiness here. And I, I like, I, I kind of attribute this to the same as entre- being an entrepreneur or a business owner or even just working in a career, like getting paid what you're worth. You know, there are people who just undervalue themselves so drastically. Mm. And I'm like, fuck that, get what you're worth in relationships, in career, in life, everything, because you can and you deserve it. But like, I can't force feed that to you. You have to be able to create that in yourself. And more so, you have to be able to, and this is my thought about it, continuously do incredibly uncomfortable things to build the confidence to own that. How much of that feels true in this journey for you?
2: Oh my gosh, a (laughs) hundred percent. Right. It's almost like with fitness coaching, I can't do your pushups for you. You know, you have to, you really do have to be at a point where you are ready to face the music Because as beautiful as this healing journey is, it can be quite painful. I don't think we can sugarcoat it and say, oh, it's all just going to be, you know, rainbows and fairies and butterflies, but it really is the shadow work, right? Where you are taking the most honest, good, hard look at yourself and the parts of you that feel really icky and shameful and uncomfortable. And it's you know bringing all of that out on the table and 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 looking at it and being okay with it takes a lot of courage for sure. And it can take some pe- people a little bit of time before they're ready to get to that place. But only you can truly acknowledge when you are ready, right? There's never going to be an external time where all the lights are green are green at the same time. Um, but I believe that readiness is an internal process and it's an internal choice that you are going to make this happen, not dictated by everything around you. So I fully believe that.
0: Yeah. And and I think a big part of it is just making the decision to do it right. Yeah. And, and not being yeah. caught up in the weighing the back and forth of whether or not your life is going to get better by getting a coach, because it is, right. I promise <laughs> it is yeah. going to the conference. It is like all of those things matter. One of the things I'm really curious about in your journey, as you were going through this process, as you're healing, as you're getting into this place where you're like, wow, I I can have a healthy relationship. What do you think is the greatest discovery you had about who you are?
2: Oh, wow. I love these questions. Oh, gosh. You know, I talk a lot about the the sacred union relationship, um, and I think I'll speak about this in terms of being in a healthy relationship. Because when you're around certain people, they they just bring out different parts of you, and I found it really important to be able to balance the me and the we, right? Uh, you know, I'm at a point where I'm very happy being off on my own. I'm an introvert. I need a lot of alone time, and I'm very happy with who I am as a person. Like I feel strong. I feel confident. Uh, I feel feminine. I feel all of these complex things, but I feel I'm at my best self when I'm also with my partner and it's not because, you know, of him that I'm, I'm depending on him to bring up these qualities in me, but it's because I have intentionally chosen someone who I've discovered does bring out these best qualities in me. So something I've learned about myself is I can be my best self when I'm by myself, but also with the people that I have chosen to, to keep and to bring into my life um it's a bit of a, a nuanced subject right we could talk more about you know who is the, the true self really but for the first time in my life i feel completely myself when i'm just me and when i'm with other people and that's been a huge game changer for me someone who is a recovered people pleaser who was a a, a human chameleon and i would you know shapeshift myself Based on who I was around. Um, But yeah, but I've learned that it's okay to be exactly who I am. um, And that not everybody deserves all of me, right? Some people are just never going to be safe to be around, no matter how badly you want them to be your person. Some people are just never going to be that. And you have to be okay with protecting your own dignity and stepping away and trusting that. There are tons of people out. There. You know, fifty percent of the population is securely attached. By the way, right? There are plenty of people out out there who are happy to know you exactly as as who you are.
1: That's
0: beautiful, and and that's a a real true sign of this healing process and what life can look like. I bet if I asked you that question twelve years ago, it'd be different.
2: <laughs> Very different. So,
0: th- this has been an amazing conversation, Gloria. Before I ask you my last question. Can you tell everyone where they can find you?
2: Yes, of course. So I actually have an episode with Michael on my podcast coming out in June, um, but you can check out the Inner Child podcast. That's literally what it's called. It's called the Inner Child podcast on all streaming platforms. Um, you know, I've got a couple of freebies and things like that uh, on my own page. I'm mostly active on Instagram at by Gloria ByGloriaZang. Um, so yeah, you're welcome to check me out there.
0: And of course, we'll put all the links in the show notes for you, Unbroken Nation. If you go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, my last Appreciate question it. for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken?
2: Oh, yes. You know, I think so many people listening can relate to just feeling like you're too broken to have any, you know, I I felt that way with my relationships. I thought I was too used, too broken for anyone to ever want me. And honestly, to be unbroken, I feel starts with believing that you're not broken, right? Because I don't believe that anyone truly is broken. I think we're, we might be lost, but it's about realizing that all the pieces are actually right here and it's up to us to put it together. What happened to you wasn't your fault. But it's still your responsibility to uh, do the cleaning up work. And yeah, for me, Unbroken was just realizing that everything is right here. It's just waiting for me to, to rise to the occasion and piece it back together.
0: Brilliantly said. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be. Unbroken. I'll see you. Hey Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show, but I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book,